son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome back. This is Forever Young. Thank you so much for listening to us. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Danyapur. Today we're going to talk about something that is a very large topic. And, uh, you know, obviously we can break this up into multiple podcasts in the future. But I think really to give our listeners an overview of what can be done, uh, we'll talk about something, you know, that's very common in this country, especially. And very near and dear to our hearts because we do a lot of this type of surgery. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, and I know you agree, it is such a life-changing type of procedure and procedures Definitely. that it is, it, it's really gratifying. And as a plastic surgeon, you know, um, we're plastic and reconstructive surgeons. In a lot of ways, this is reconstructive. Um, and we really give people's lives back. And, and, and I'm excited to talk about it. And like Dr. Leakey said, I think that this is just going to be an overview. And in subsequent podcasts, we're going to break down each procedure in detail. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking about? We're talking about post-bariatric body contouring. And what does that mean? This is after massive weight loss. The idea is sometimes you have to imagine this is like wearing a sumo suit that you just punctured and now it has deflated. And so, uh, you know, for all of those who lost weight on your own or lost weight through surgery, you know, congratulations. The idea is you've uh, gone uh, 50% of the way there. Now people really want to look normal in clothes and uh, and out of clothes. And so the idea is, um, you know, that massive weight loss can definitely wreak havoc on the skin, the skin quality and texture. Um, but once you lose the volume underneath, a lot of times that skin doesn't contract to where it was pre-weight gain. And so I think what we'll do is really start off, um, we're going to look at the timing of procedure, meaning how much weight should you lose before we consider doing surgery. Then we'll kind of uh, look at the candidates for this because uh, obviously you have to be a medical candidate. And then we'll kind of pair some surgeries together. I think we'll go from head to toe. We'll talk about some of the complications just because we have to. And I think it's educating and it gives you a good idea of what to expect. And kind of talk about timelines, what we can do to space certain things out and and group uh, different body parts together. And again, if you listen to, to any of our podcasts, one of the things we talk about all the time 
is skin quality, what happens when you remove a lot of fat and how you get skin that becomes deflated. Um, and and we're, we're going to kind of go over this a lot because if you, if you can conceptually think about when you gain a lot of weight, and we're talking about significant amounts of weight. We're talking about over 100 pounds for all these people, sometimes 200 pounds, sometimes 300 pounds, okay? And when you lose that much weight, it wreaks havoc on your body. It causes stretch marks. It causes loose skin. Um, and it causes, you know, a, a lot of, of damage psychologically for patients that now that they've lost the weight, they still... They want to look as good as they feel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't do the weight loss procedure. Um, I know Dr. Lakey and I both did it when we were general surgery residents, um, but we don't anymore. But we do see the patients after, um, and they're lovely. And all the patients that do have massive weight loss are really very motivated individuals. They're amazing people to take care of. Mm-hmm. They will stick to the plan and do everything we tell them to do because they've been through such a road that they want to get to that final part and that mm-hmm. final aspect of making themselves look as good as they feel. Um, what we're going to talk about today is, is post-bariatric body contouring in the sense that bariatric surgery is weight loss surgery. But at the same time, there's a small subset of people who lose their own weight. So this applies to you as well, or anyone that you know that has, has lost a significant amount of weight, doesn't mm-hmm. have to always be through surgery. Now let's take a step back, uh, just to put things in perspective, uh, out of looking at all Americans, 42.4%. This was a statistic that was given in 2017. Uh, and these have been rapidly increasing over the last two decades. of Americans are obese or overweight. And that's looking at a body mass index greater than 30, um, you know, looking at a height to weight ratio. And the idea is with processed foods, lack of uh, of, uh, exercise, uh, you know, more of a stagnant lifestyle, that this is a real uh, epidemic. And so, um, you know, the idea is... uh, now people are focused a little more on health, diet, exercise, and uh, the ability to live longer. And so in doing so, we run into an increasing number of patients who have had massive weight loss. So let's look at timing. Let's say someone, you know, and we can think of particular patients, someone comes to you, they just had bariatric surgery, and they are three months out, and they have lost 40 pounds. What do you tell them? You give them a pat on the back and you say, congratulations. Mm. Um, And you basically tell them that it's way too early, that their weight loss procedure is now just doing its thing and it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. Remember, guys, these things aren't just instant cures. It takes time. These bariatric procedures that are performed, whether it's a bypass or a lap band or a balloon, and, and there's a bunch of different ways to do this, they all take time. Mm-hmm. It basically, what, how it works is it decreases the amount of food that's absorbed, number one, or the amount of food that's uh, the the ability to take in the food because you mm-hmm. end up taking less amount. Volume, volume the is volume. decreased. Um, and and w- this takes time. It took a lot of time to gain the weight. So it's going to take not as much time, but it's going to take at least a year Mm -hmm. for you to lose the weight. And what we like telling people is at least a year to have a BMI that's, that's 
obviously, hopefully less than 30 if possible, um, and that they are at that weight for at least three months. Now, that's the real big number in a sense. If we can keep somebody and have them maintain that goal weight, there should be a goal weight that a bariatric surgeon puts on a patient. Mm -hmm. So if they're, let's say, 350 pounds, they say, we're going to do a gastric bypass and we'd like you to get down to 200. And that's the gate, the the goal weight, because you don't want to do it too early because then you're going to have extra skin again, mm-hmm. right? Lose more weight. And then again, it's deflating further and you lose some of the the tightness or tautness that we're trying to create. You know, essentially we are seamsters and seamstresses where we're essentially trying to remove the excess and tailor accordingly. So, you know, I agree. I think at one year when everything has normalized, you've got metabolic changes that we want to make sure that you are, uh, you know, that you have normalized. We see the changes in the quality of the skin tissue. We see how much of the skin has retracted. Um, and so who is a candidate? You know, it's also interesting what you just said, I, I, how much of the skin has retracted. Because we see patients and it, and sometimes it really blows your mind because They'll come in and their face and their neck looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Then they take their shirt off and their arms are sagging or their belly's sagging or vice versa. And each patient is very, very, very different. The way the skin redrapes after major weight loss um, kind of varies. And each person that comes in has different requests. And we're going to talk about that. But the person that's a candidate is, is number one, they have to be medically cleared. Mm-hmm. So they have to have no other comorbidities that is going to... Um, you know, make them not a surgical candidate. Because again, this is an operation. We're going to put you to sleep. It, it, it's going to take multiple hours depending on what we're doing. And then it also requires proper um, protein and and all of your pretty much lab values to be okay because you get malabsorption syndromes mm-hmm. that, that need to be replaced with the appropriate vitamins. Um, and yeah, you, you have to imagine that having massive weight gain you know, causes issues with the heart, you know, makes people diabetic, uh, can hammer on the kidneys. And so even with this massive weight loss, if you still have cardiac conditions and your kidneys are shot and, uh, well, you're poorly controlled diabetic, you will not undergo surgery. I mean, at least not in this practice. And so- um, And one other biggie which is always with everything is smoking, mm-hmm. you know, because again, as, as seamstress and, and as, as seamsters, I should say, um, we, we are cutting skin and putting it back together. And one of the most important thing is, is the blood flow and the blood supply to those tiny little um, areas of the skin that we're putting back together. And if you smoke, it is going to make all these incisions break down. And it is an absolute contraindication to doing massive weight loss surgery mm-hmm. because these big incisions, you, we want them to heal well. We try to hide them. We try to do whatever we can to make them thin lines so they're not a memory of the past. So they're not something that'll continually remind you of the fact that you had um, lost all this weight. So mm-hmm. smoking is, is, is definitely a no-no. And if you are a smoker, um, we ask you to abstain from smoking for three months um, prior to doing this. Mm-hmm. Whereas a normal individual, uh, and I put normal in quotations, the average uh, cosmetic surgery patient, we say, you know, obviously we would like you to quit smoking from two to three weeks prior, two to three weeks after. This is different for uh, the post-massive weight loss patient. So three months before... And hopefully that just causes you to quit afterwards, uh, but it would be, you know, months after as well. This is Dr. John Lakey at Forever Young. Hope you're enjoying the show. 
Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. So now let's say we've we've gone through the process. You you have um, have made it through the weight loss. You have been cleared by your physician to have surgery. Now the idea is what can be done. And, uh, you know, like Dr. Daniel Poor said, every patient is different. But the idea is we're going to run through from head to toe what are some of the most common things that are performed. And we can talk about their uh, potential pitfalls and, and, and what to expect postoperatively. And remember, as we started this, this podcast today, we said we're going to just hit on the, the, the topics. We, can, we will <laughs> dedicate full podcasts just to each individual procedure because you can talk about them forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to go over each individual area, talk about what can be done surgically, non-surgically, um, and what to expect. Uh, you know, again, most of these patients come in and they have specific complaints. Uh, and most, depending on how much weight they've lost and how much skin retraction they've had, a lot of them come in and they say, I want to do everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. Can we do that? No. The idea is we stage uh, particular procedures. One, because uh, it's too much on the body. And uh, two, we look at the uh, the ability for the patient to adequately recuperate. So if I'm going to do arm surgery, leg surgery, and core surgery, that patient can no longer get up or get out of bed um, or sit down and go to the bathroom or things like that. So we have to be cognizant that we have to pair these appropriately. So again, you know, going top to bottom, obviously what's near and dear to my heart uh, is uh, the face. And so what can be done to the face? You have to imagine, it, 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 let's say we've ballooned the face out with volume and now you've deflated it. And remember when we age, as well as when we have massive weight loss, those little fat pockets that are important in the face, atrophy. So you have a very gaunt look. We have excess skin, jowls form, and the neck skin tends to droop. Now, I'm going to preface everything that we are saying by telling you that the skin quality is no longer the same, which means gravity will always affect you more than the average person. However, there are certain things that can be done to help improve longevity, the results, and to improve overall results. And so, I'll just talk about the face, uh, and that is usually what happens when we do deflate is we see a hollowing in the temples. We see the cheeks have deflated. We see those deep laugh lines and marionette lines, uh, jowls that form and that excess neck skin. And so really the idea is to reverse that. So now we want to add appropriate volume. So that's you know usually in the form of fat grafting to the face. Uh, and face and neck lifts become more common. Now, some of the youngest people that I've ever done, uh, you know, a facelift on have been massive weight loss. So I can think of one particular patient individual uh, in particular, uh, you know, is a 41-year-old female underwent a facelift just because she lost so much weight, 200 pounds, um, that she looked much older. So the idea was to restore the volume that was lost, uh, remove and lift some of the tissue, and this is done in the form of a face and neck lift. 
Um, working our way down from there, uh, I'll let you take over. So we'll, we'll go down from there and we'll go down to the breast. Um, and we'll talk about female and then we'll talk about the chest in the male. And, and, and again, near and dear to my heart is breast surgery. And I will tell you, um, as somebody who does a ton of breast surgery, hands down, this is the most challenging part of massive weight loss Definitely. surgery. Because imagine, number one, you've lost most of your breast tissue and obviously fat that's, that makes a bulk of, of the breast. Number two, you have very poor skin quality, so your breasts are sagging. So most of the patients that come in, they ask for two things. I want fuller breasts and lifted breasts. Well, it sounds great, right? But you're doing basically two opposite things. You're putting in an implant that's pushing out and down, mm -hmm. and then you're lifting, which is making it tighter and pulling it up. One of it's going to give, right? Mm -hmm. And the problem is the skin quality in post-bariatric uh, patients, in people that have had massive weight loss, is like we keep talking about it. We're going to say it over and over again. is not very good. Mm -hmm. And I could show pictures upon pictures on stretch marks that are just massive. And the problem is you can't cut them all out. So, and stretch marks, you have to look, you have to imagine there's two layers of the skin. We've talked about it before the epidermis, which is the thin outer layer, and the dermis, which is the healthy, thicker layer. Stretch marks are tears in that dermis, the thicker layer. And that's why sometimes it looks translucent because you just see the outer layer. So, whether it's purple or translucent or a different color, darker, it's because you can see the connected tissue underneath. Um, and so, you remember that's like, Again, I always say the same thing. It's like losing the reins of the horse. And so nothing contracts back or pulls upward. And so you're really relying on, you know, the technical aspects of surgery. And, and, it's, and it's interesting because, again, do a ton of this on people that don't have a ton of weight loss. And it's a complicated procedure as it is when you put an implant in and do a lift um, because of the two opposing forces. But here the problem is, Again, there's zero breast tissue, so you're going to see what's called implant show, and the skin quality is not very good. If I tell you that, that some of the scientific papers that are written about this procedure and the high complication and revision rates, it has the highest complication and revision rate because of the fact that you've got a foreign body, and then you're doing, you really try to tighten as much as you can. And what the revision or, or the complications are with this is you get recurrent sagging of the breast very quickly because of the skin quality. And that's one thing that I talk to everyone about is we're putting implants in, let's make them as small as possible. Let's put as little weight in as possible. Hopefully you have a little bit of your own breast tissue and we could just do a little bit of a, a lift without an implant. Some of the things that we use for other patients is no longer around because you have no more fat in your body. So I can't necessarily take fat and do a fat transfer. But really what, what we do, and I'm not going to take up this whole podcast just talking about this, is technically just take away some of the skin, make the breast into a nicer shape, round and projected, and give it, if necessary, a small implant to fill the void. Um, it's completely the opposite of everything else we do for body contouring. Here, except for the face, here we're really trying to give you more volume in which you've lost and tighten as much as we can. So the treatment is what's called an augmentation mastopexy, breast lift with an implant. And, and that's pretty much across the board for most people. Now, um, in relation to men, because this is the one part that's very different with men and women, uh, people come in and there's grades of what we need to do. And we're not going to get into those because it gets very technical. That's gynecomastia surgery. And it, and it all depends on whether or not it's, there's a significant amount of 
skin laxity or fullness of breast tissue that's causing the problems. Most of the time, people that have that have had a significant amount of weight loss need to have some sort of skin excision. Um, and those skin excision patterns are not the best because there's nothing we can do to hide them. So if it's a significant amount, we can use excision patterns that we use for women. Or if we can just hide it into the areola, we can also do that. Or if we're lucky enough and there's not significant skin redundancy, we can use technology and use things like the body tight or Vaser or Renuvion or any of these skin tightening procedures to try to tighten the skin. But technically, what happens is you lose a ton of, ton of weight and, and the breasts now look like deflated just bags for men. And depending on how bad it is, maybe either a skin excision or like I said, a little bit of liposuction with technology. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, again, I agree with you. I think it's one of the toughest things. That's where uh, people, surgeons started using uh, acellular dermal matrices or synthetic skin or mesh or anything to hold up the breast. Because the first thing that happens, you lose the reins of the horse, you put it in an implant, the skin can't hold it and it falls. And so, and, and it doesn't take long. This could be three months after the procedure and you think, oh my goodness, it's right back to where we started. No, maybe not the, entirely, but the breasts have fallen. So, you know, one of the important things that I think we had to, we forgot to say right off the bat is that there has to be realistic expectations. There has to be, we have to understand that the quality of the skin has been ruined and there's only so much that we can do. But the idea is, can we still make it look aesthetically pleasing? Yes. It just has to, you know, is it going to sit up like someone who's a A cup and, and undergoes a, an augmentation? No. This is going to be a very natural type of look, which can look wonderful. Um, that's kind of a segue into the next procedure, I think, which is really arm surgery. You know, we call it brachioplasty. It's from a bat wing type appearance where you hold your arms straight out at a 90 degrees and you can see that jiggle, that's excess skin. Sometimes it's extra fat and skin. This can be performed in an isolated manner, meaning that we simply remove the extra skin or liposuction and and remove the extra skin, or we could do what's called an L-brachioplasty. That's in combination with breast surgery many times. What we'll do is we'll extend the incision along the area of the armpit or the axilla and the uh, outer aspect of the breast. And that where, you know, some people have that excess skin that just sits out under the armpit. And that's a great way of contouring that. Now, you have to imagine that in order to achieve a better contour, we have to sacrifice something. And that is scar placement. Now, it's our job, and we have been well-trained, to place the scars to be as hidden as possible. The second thing is... Sometimes it's impossible. Of course. You know, sometimes right in the middle, especially in chest surgery for men, a lot of times you put it underneath the pectoralis muscle, but, uh, you know, it's not like a breast can hold, you know, fall over it, um, which is easier in females. So you have to understand that we have limitations. So you're tailoring. It's just like, a you know, tailoring a shirt or a suit. You got to take it in somewhere, but there has to be a seam. Absolutely. And, and the arm surgery, again, it, it goes by zones. We're not going to get into it, but you have the most distal part of the arm, which rarely is operated on. Um, skin laxity doesn't happen in your forearm as much as it does in where your biceps are. Um, and then again, like Dr. Lakey said, it carries on into to by your armpit and by your breast. And sometimes the incision gets taken down 
the whole way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to even add a little bit of liposuction because not all the fat gets lost. So we like to contour and take skin away. Mm-hmm. I remember we had one patient that, you know, she was 40 years old, uh, you know, massive weight loss, uh, still had extra weight on her. We did a brachioplasty um, and looked amazing. And then three months later, it came back and you could tell that it had fallen. And so um, chose not to undergo a revision brachioplasty, but that's when we use some of the technology we were talking about, the body tight. And that's, you know, perform as much liposuction as we can, use radiofrequency to our advantage. And sometimes, you know, these are, uh, you know, procedures that, uh, adjunctive procedures that need to be done for any type of, uh, of uh, post-massive weight loss you know, surgery. You, make, you made a really good point. So person comes back a couple months later and says, man, it looked great for the first couple months. Why is it sagging? It goes back to the same concept of skin quality. And the interesting part is you would think, just make it tighter. Make it as tight as you can. Bring it in and just really put as much tension on this as <laughs> I possible. I see you gritting your teeth like, you know, The problem is that's completely the opposite of everything a plastic surgeon's ever been taught. Mm-hmm. You don't ever want to make things that where they're on too much tension. And this is something we try to, to talk to our patients about. You want there to be that perfect combination of tightness, yet it's got no tension to it. Minimizing the scar. That's how a nice scar heals. And it makes it really tough with massive weight loss patients. I mean, and we'll, we're going to talk about how we lift the thighs and the buttocks and how they fall again. And, you know, and, and, and these procedures, the people that are having these done, they have to understand there's going to be an incredible improvement. The only problem is the skin quality. And before we move on to other parts of the body, what can we do and what do we do regularly? Like, for example, breast surgery or arm surgery, even all the face surgeries mm-hmm. you do, we add a little some, something, a little technology to try to do whatever we can to tighten skin. And in our practice... We use the Morpheus. We love the Morpheus. You know, it's microneedling with radio frequency. The 24 needles puncture the skin, emit heat, which is the electrical, you know, radio frequency is the electrical form of heat. And it stimulates collagen. It forces collagen stimulation. We need to uh, give the skin a boost because just by itself, uh, you know, there's, you know, there's going to be recurrence regardless. So the idea is to tighten up and toughen up that skin, thicken it a little bit so it doesn't have as much laxity. And again, just like any other procedure we're talking about, it's not magic, guys. It takes multiple procedures, but we do the first one in the operating room at the same time, try to get as aggressive as possible. And then six to eight weeks later, we'll have you do two more. So we'll do one more at six to eight weeks, and then another one 12 to 16 weeks after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that literally we try to do for all the patients, even if they're not massive weight loss patients, but they've had, you know, they've breastfed multiple people and, they, and multiple people, children, um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and they, they have stretch marks. And this really does help stretch marks. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's PlasticsDocs, P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. (laughs) 
Uh, listen, I think this next procedure is probably the biggest bang for the buck. This is where we really look at the central core of an individual, male, female alike. And the reason why this is so uh, such an intensive procedure, meaning as far as the result, is because one procedure addresses many areas. Absolutely. And, and so... This one is called the truncal lift, and there are different variations of this as far as, uh, you know, using a midline incision as well. It's called a fleur-de-lis. And And you can call it other things, circumferential lift, Mm -hmm. lumpectomy. There's a bunch of different terms for it, but... Definitely. And this is where it's essentially an incision that goes entirely around the body, a 360-degree incision. And it sounds, it sounds like a lot, but at the same time, we can tell you what, uh, what this is good for. So, and, and interestingly, you know, this is, this is a, an incision that's hidden underneath the, the underwear line or, or bikini line that goes, if you can think about, it's, it's a tummy tuck for the front. But for the sides and the back, this is where you really get the biggest bang for your buck because routinely most people that lose a significant amount of weight come in and they complain of their lateral thighs sagging and their buttocks sagging. Mm -hmm. They really complain about that because, and they're like, man, I lost all this weight and I can't do anything to fix it. Along with extra skin in the anterior abdomen, the area where, you know, where your belly is. And imagine, uh, also we call it a panis. That is the medical term for when the belly hangs a little lower, um, that excess skin. And I think, honestly, a belt lipectomy can give you the best uh, picture of what this procedure entails. Because imagine, it's not a regular belt. Let's imagine this is like, a, you know, you just got the championship belt uh, in WWE, and it's this large excision, both in front, on the side, and in back. And so it cores out the flank region. We can also perform some liposuction with it to help contour um, and what we're doing is essentially we're not pulling downward in back, we're lifting upward in back. So that means we lift the buttock and we lift the outer thighs or the lateral thighs. So all of that, you know, uh, there's a, a specific contour that is seen in massive weight loss. And it looks like a saddlebag, but it is not. And if you take your hand on the outer aspect of the hip and you raise upward while you're pulling tissue, you'll see it smooth out that lateral thigh. And this is really where the procedure kicks in. And and most frequently, this is the number one procedure that's performed for people. Mm -hmm. So they come in and they they have a, a, a whole wish list and really, this is one thing that changes everything because you can exercise better because you're losing that panis that you spoke, spoke about that's sometimes 10 pounds that when you take it out, you feel like you've, you've taken a big weight away and you can do a lot more. Now, clothes fit differently. You don't have to hide the panis and you know tight jeans, leggings, things like that. People want to look great in clothes. Now, we want to make, make people look good without clothes on as well, but the goal of all of our operations that we do for people that have massive weight loss is to make them look really good in clothes and hopefully over time without clothes in bathing suits and whatnot. But realistically, this, this procedure will address the front of your belly, will take away from skin from the front a lot more than from the back. And then like Dr. Lakey said, it'll pull up the lateral thighs 
and the buttocks. Now, there are a lot of modifications that can be made at the same time. People have what's called buttocktosis or sagging of the butt um, or volume loss. Atrophy, yeah, definitely A lot of volume loss. And unfortunately, you know, we can't do a BBL like we spoke about couple episodes ago um, by taking fat elsewhere and putting it in for everyone because they don't have a lot of fat. So sometimes we can create these internal flaps where we, where we create more fullness by folding over areas of skin, by taking away the outer layer of the skin and folding it down, pulling it up as much as we can. And we always like to overly pull up because we know it's going to drop a little bit. Mm-hmm. These incisions are for most people, very scary. They feel like they're going to look like Frankenstein. But the interesting part is, number one, they're hidden, always hidden. If they're, the pattern is, is done properly and you go to somebody that does a lot of these procedures, they're hidden, they're hidden scars. Nobody sees them. Um, and most of the time, they heal really well because we try not to put them on a ton of tension. Yeah. Uh, I think it moving our way down. So now we've tackled the outer thigh, but we haven't addressed the inner thigh. This is a because of certain, we call them zones of adherence all the way throughout the body. That means that there are certain ligamentous or fascial connections and everything else falls around them, almost like an accordion. You'll see it bunch up. And so either we release those particular ligaments, it's not always the safest thing. And so we tend to avoid that or uh, direct excision of some of the folds. Now down in the medial thigh, the idea is let's say we've done the truncal lift or the cir- the belt lipectomy or, or uh, you know, the circumferential lift. And uh, people say that the inner thighs tend to rub. So now we can grab with our hands the in, inner aspect of the thigh, lift upwards towards the groin, and you will see how the thigh smooths out. Now, these incisions are also hidden in the groin crease and can greatly improve the appearance of the inner thigh. So now, um, you know, the idea is, is it combined with liposuction for contouring? We can always do that, but we really are starting to make it from head to toe. The last place that we have done, I remember we did, uh, you know, one patient where he, we had done a calf lift. This is a little more, uh, this is a little rarer. We try to stay away from the leg, which is the definition of the leg is from the knee downward. But, uh, you know, we contour the area, we liposuction as much as we can. But now afterwards, what we're going to do is we're going to start going into the potential complications because, um, you have to imagine. Again, I'm going to add one more thing. Oh, yes, done. yes. And that's an upper body lift. Um, mm-hmm. And this is, this is something we did actually recently on someone who we did everything else for. And she came in and she said, I don't like the rolls on my upper back. And it's interesting because Dr. Lakey just talked about how when we do a circumferential lift or a truncal lift, we don't bring things down. We bring it up. So we're trying to lift the buttocks and the thighs. Mm-hmm. So we don't address the upper back. And most of the treatments that we do, doesn't do anything to address the upper back. So imagine you've done a tummy tuck on someone, an arm lift, a medial thigh lift, the breast lift, everything looks nice and tight. They come back and they say, I've got like four rolls in my back. So there's a thoracic roll, there's a scapular roll, and they're all big names for just basically skin folds, lots of extra skin because imagine all of this was filled out with extra adipose tissue or fat and now it's taken away and now there's folds. 
Well, one option is to try to do some liposuction, but most of the time with, with people that, that, that have massive weight loss, liposuction does nothing for this. You have to directly cut it out. And, and again, I, I, we had an old professor that used to always say, don't get caught up on all the nuances. If there's extra skin, you have to cut it out. Mm-hmm. And what you do is you put an incision right in the bra line and you take away all of the extra skin. And that's what's called a thoracic lift, removing all the, as many of the folds as you can and trying to make that area nice and tight. And that really just kind of sums up all the different procedures uh, that we can do for people that have massive weight loss. The, the order of how we do this, again, most of the time, the, the abdomen and the back, the truncal lift is the first thing that's done. Mm-hmm. We very routinely combine breast and arms at the same time because they're in the same area. The last thing we ever want to do is address arms and legs at the same time. And this is something Dr. Lakey talks about with people. You know, we want you to be able to function after surgery. These are all elective surgeries. There are elective cosmetic operations that you need to get up and walk immediately after. Well, if you've got your arms and legs that have been operated on, how are you going to get out of bed? Mm -hmm. So we want to make it so we're smart about this. Can we do surgery on everywhere? Absolutely. You also want to avoid those complications because you have to imagine people who are sitting in bed who can't get out of bed, that's when you start developing deep vein thrombosis, clots, and and, uh, all these uh, added issues that we are trying to avoid. So- you know, being properly trained um, and board certified, I think, helps out. You're, you're not just looking at what's in front of you. You're looking at the potential for the week to come as well as the year to come. And so that's interesting that you say that, though, because the one difference between us and a lot of people is we have been trained for so many years about being able to spot life-threatening complications and simple complications that can can really alter your your course. And that's the big difference between between doing this. I mean, to, to be a seamster, you know, anyone can sew. But to be able to catch all maybe of, not well, but they can sew. <laughs> all, all of the complications that can be life-threatening is a very different thing. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, not at all. I think, you know, what you were saying Again, I'm going to reiterate, we pair surgeries together. You know, the good part is we have each other in surgery. So you got two board-certified plastic surgeons. We can work twice as fast. Uh, That means we can get through more surgery. It doesn't mean that we do everything from head to toe. It means that we can get people in and out of surgery faster, and that means that the recovery will be uh, much less. So, you know, like you said, pair arms and breasts together. We do the truncal aspect usually first. Not, you know, sometimes it's not the issue for everyone. Some people say my arms are absolutely bother me or it's thighs. People say, oh my goodness, I just can't run or do anything because my thighs are rubbing. And so it's really up to the particular patient, but we create a plan. Now, let's say we come up with a plan. Someone comes in, they need a facelift, arm surgery, breast surgery, the truncal lift, we're lifting the butt and thighs. Um, What would be your ideal? I mean, perfect world. If we can, you know, the minimum for me is three months. The best case scenario is six months to a year. Mm -hmm. Um, Six months is ideal because not only have you let everything heal, but you've gotten back into your just regular routine. Mm-hmm. It takes a couple of weeks for you to get better. Um, six weeks of no heavy lifting, no exercise, which is really hard and fast. And then we want you to get back in your routine because we don't want you to 
continually do surgery and ruin everything you've done. Because a lot of people who do lose a ton of weight, they get into an exercise routine, they have healthy habits, and we don't want to break those. We want to continue those. So generally speaking, again, if it's if you did breast and body surgery on somebody and they wanted to have a facelift, I think three months later is fine. Mm-hmm. But if you did a circumferential lift and lateral thigh lift, and now they want to come and do their inner thighs, you know, I maybe would wait a little bit longer. And again, each individual is different. I would wait at least three months, six months to be really safe. Um, and every time, you know, obviously labs again and medical clearance, because again, the Individuals that we're dealing with have had a lot of metabolic disturbances throughout their life and now with, depending on the type of surgery they've had, can still have them. So we have to make sure we really stay up on that. Yeah, I think, listen, for me, I'll run through what I think would be absolutely perfect. And again, I agree with you with a three-month, uh, you know, spacer in between, is you do the trunk lift first. The reason why you don't want to do a face or anything else with that is because, uh, you know, you have to put the patient in the prone position with their face down. So we have to start thinking about these things during surgery as well as after. So trunk lift first to kind of get the biggest bang for your buck right off the bat. Then have someone come back and I would do face and neck lift at the same time as you perform a breast and arm lift. So you albrachioplasty or, you know, Love it. Uh, something like that. That way, listen, they still have their core. You still have your thighs so you can get in and out of bed. Love um, it. You know, you can still see and you've got your faculties about you. So that's not an issue. And then uh, next I would do a th- medial thigh surgery, the inner thigh surgery. So we obviously don't want to do inner thigh surgery the same as a trunk lift because you're pulling on the outer thigh. So I don't want two forces, again, pulling against each other. And then lastly, I prepare someone. And, and, and imagine, in three surgeries, we've gone essentially head to toe. I do plan for a fourth surgery. And what is that? That is tailoring of everything that needs to be tailored. You have to imagine, you can bring a, a, a suit to a tailor and they can measure you. You go in, you, they perform the entire tailoring. And how many times... Did they have to redo it? I've been there multiple times where they've had to you know, do it two, three times. The same thing is going to have to happen with living tissue. Exactly. Imagine if, if, if you've ever been married and you had a, a fitting for a wedding dress. <laughs> they keep bringing you back. It behooves me, to be honest with you. I always think to myself, what? Why do they keep having to do that? Because... Because we're humans, number one. Number two, there are little tiny modifications. They may not be big ones, but they may be tiny modifications that may make you have the perfect, perfect result. So always, if you're having all of the skin taken out, remember, there's two sides to a body. There are a lot of different contours. Many, many, many years of weight gain caused major havoc to your body. Now, losing it again requires major kind of alterations that may require some touch-ups. This is Dr. John Lakey at Forever Young. Hope you're enjoying the show. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. One of the most common things, again, we go back to the skin quality. One of the most common things, we do a truncal lift. You lift the outer thigh and over th- three to six months, mm-hmm. 
it tends to fall a little bit. So, and you have to think, uh, all right, what's the alternative? Could we pull it so tight that even if you did lose some, it would end up in the right spot? You could, but that brings me to the potential complications. Absolutely. And unfortunately, with the subset of population that we're speaking about right now, complication rates are much higher. Mm -hmm. And most medical literature that's out there talks about most bit body contouring procedures for massive weight loss carry a very high complication rate. And the patients need to understand this. Mm -hmm. They need to understand that the things that we're going to talk about are going to apply to a lot of the people. Mm -hmm. And no matter how perfect this operation is done, they still may lead to some of these complications. And And the most common... Well, I or two say, most common. I, I would say. say wound dehiscence Absolutely. is definitely that's where the wound starts to separate. You have to imagine. So we've got someone who may have a metabolic uh, disorder. They may, you know, they're not able to absorb certain vitamins. They may not have taken in enough protein, and so that we're relying on our stitches to hold things together. But but really, we're relying on the body to take over once those stitches have dissolved. And if your, your body doesn't have the nutrients uh, that it needs, those wounds will simply fall apart as soon as the stitch dissolves. So right off the bat, we're, again, I, I kind of made uh, reference to it earlier. It's, we're trying to balance pulling something as tight as you possibly can but while also not wanting the wound to split open or the scar to widen or you know a, a further complication to to occur and, and that becomes one of the most difficult challenges and the only way that you really come up with this obviously reading the literature and being well trained and experienced but it is that experience it's being you know going through hundreds of them before you realize <laughs> wait a sec we have to alter our pattern here, here, and here so we don't get these types of complications. And, and it could be very frustrating for the surgeon and for the patient. Um, and that's why, you know, these people that come in and, and any patient that comes in for any, any type of post-weight um, loss procedure gets a very long consultation, very long pre-op going over each and in every single individual possible complication because you don't want people to get discouraged if mm. this happens to them because this is their final step in their journey of losing weight and looking good again. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I know that you set people up with, their, with the proper expectations and, and likewise, I, I do the same. Really sit there and talk to them um, because I don't want them to get discouraged. I want them to understand that this is going to be a journey. It's going to be an awesome one. It's going to be something that's going to make them look phenomenal, but there may be some small bumps in the road. And one of the bumps, other complication that's very common is something called a seroma. Mm-hmm. And a seroma is just a, a fluid a collection. And, and if you can imagine... We're taking big chunks of tissue and we're, we're trying to go and undermine areas so we can make areas that are, that are really loose much tighter, take as much skin as we can. And by doing that, our body feels like there's a potential open space and wants to fill it up with fluid. Now, it's just a natural reaction. Do you imagine, uh, you f- remember as a kid, you fell off your bike, scraped your knee, and all of a sudden that little yellow ooze comes out? That's plasma. And so the body loves healing things because that plasma is full of growth factors and, uh, and everything used to help heal. And so that's exactly what the body is doing. We've created trauma and the body's trying to heal it. And that's why for a lot of these procedures, we'll put drains in. And these drains doesn't mean anything, doesn't mean anything went wrong. 
It just means that we know it's going to fill up with fluid. So we're going to put these drains in normally for seven to 10 days, then slide, slide them out in the office and you're good to go. But it's one of those things that requires it, whether it's a medial thigh lift or, or a circumferential lift. And some of these patients we do without drains. It doesn't mean everybody gets them, mm-hmm. but it's one of the ways to prevent some of this very common complication. Now, the complication that, that, that we've already talked about is that just recurrent ptosis or recurrent sagging. And unfortunately, it happens. And if it happens, we give options of, hey, you want to do it again or not? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's up to them. Most of the time, 90% of the time, it doesn't go back to what it started with. It's just not as good as what it looked like immediately after. Another one of the complications I think we have to discuss, remember the sacrifice is tailoring with, while leaving a seam, is scars. And not everybody heals the best. We are battling against tension. And so for us in our practice, obviously, you know, we close in multiple layers and make sure that we've got enough stitches to support the area. But we also use something called the Embrace Scar Therapy. And I know we've talked about it before. And on any linear incision, uh, to alleviate some of that surface tension will lead to a better scar. If that doesn't work, well, then we microneedle, we have laser, and then obviously when we go back, let's say to do a different procedure, we can also revise certain scars. Sometimes because we're putting something under tension uh, to get the better contour, we know if we're coming back that we may have to revise that scar, but it automatically gives you a better tension if it's a little tighter. And so uh, you have to imagine when we revise a scar, we eliminate all of that tension, uh, you know, at the same time. And so, or at least reduce it as much, as much as we possibly can. So doing, you know, there are multiple things that can be done, but uh, obviously scarring is, is an issue because some people say, look, I want a better contour, but I don't want to hide my scars. Otherwise, you know, I'm right back to the way I was before. And arms, you know, obviously is a very big one. The idea is we create uh, a very tight uh, contour and sometimes that scar widens. And if that scar widens, it's visible regardless of where we hide it. Um, and so the goal itself is to try to uh, camouflage that as best we can. And the one thing about scars, and again, you know, this is something that we can talk about for hours, um, wound healing. But, but remember, scars don't look amazing right away. Now, it may start out as a very thin line. Then what I tell people, then you'll first see it flatten. Then you'll see the color go away. And this takes up to a year. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes even longer. So patience is necessary. Remember, we will help, and most plastic surgeons that are going to do this for you, we will help you along this course and and, and along this journey to get these scars to heal really well. But understand there's no other way to do this but but without putting scars. So that's one of the the complications that could be, you know, unsightly scars, keloids or hypertrophic scars, widened scars, scars that we don't like. And and there are treatments for it. Um, Most commonly in any type of surgical operation is infection and bleeding, Um, you know, and and this can happen and we treat you with antibiotics and, and we make sure that we're very careful in the operating room, make sure we check all of your labs beforehand, make sure you don't have a bleeding disorder. And, and, and in, our, in our experience, um, doing lots of body contouring on a lot of massive weight loss patients, honestly, infection and bleeding is not something we see on a regular basis, but it's something we discuss with patients all the time. The one complication that, that, that can happen more frequently 
for massive weight loss patients than others is something called venous thromboembolism or a uh, deep venous thrombosis or a DVT or, or clots in your venous system that can be very, very, very deadly and hazardous. And that's why, at least in surgery, we do everything in our power to prevent it, um, we we put on special squeezers and in, in, in your that are called sequential compression devices on your calves to really pump uh, uh, your calves and make sure that it kind of releases, releases. tissue thromboplastin. Exactly. And, and yeah, and and also the most important thing is remember what we talked about in the beginning. We get you out of bed right away. Mm-hmm. You walk, walk, walk. These are not surgical procedures that are performed in a hospital, although they can be. We do them in our outpatient, you know, outpatient surgery center. People go home the same day. Um, and we really encourage, as long as you're walking, the chances of getting a DVT are very, very low. Mm-hmm. What Definitely. am I missing? Well, I think... You know, as far as we we kind of went from head to toe, I know we covered a lot of ground and then we talked about some of the potential complications and, and some of the more common ones. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is setting expectations because uh, th- this is, it's very difficult surgery to do it well. Anyone can cut stuff out, but to hide and, and plan and you know this this takes years of experience and appropriate training and uh, to do it effectively. Some people do this solely as you know their uh, career. Absolutely. Um, you know, and so you know we tend to do a lot of breast and body, and I think that we've made adjustments along the way. And the other things that we do is adjunctive. Uh, things to improve our results. So we've already talked about the Embrace Scar Therapy. We send all our patients to a Remedy Place, which is a social wellness center, but they go for hyperbaric oxygen after. They do get uh, certain nu- uh, nutrient-filled IVs both before and, and f- at a, the appropriate time after surgery. Um, and you these know, are all proven to help wounds heal. That's why we do them. Definitely. You know, red light therapy as, you know, as some of the later healing process just to try to help augment our results. And so I think, uh, you know, we've had amazing results because of uh, yeah. the planning that goes into it as well as the pre and post-op It uh, also helps that regimen. We, we were at a, a post, we were at a bariatric center of excellence um, during our training. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the most common procedures that we did when we were training along with a ton of other things, were these procedures. Um, it really kind of bred us to, to where we are. We feel so comfortable to do these. Um, and, 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 you know, to me, there's nothing quite satisfying as to, to really give someone, in a sense, their, their appearance back because they feel healthier. Their life back. Yeah. They, I mean, and, just to be able to move, exercise. You know, a lot of times it's hard to even go to the gym. You have extra skin and you can't do anything. And once you eliminate that, it's kind of like the same thing with a large-breasted female who can't really run or exercise because their breasts are too large. And then you reduce them and all of a sudden, you know, they're able to exercise. Absolutely. So this, I think, goes hand in hand with that. Um, And we've seen such amazing uh, transformations. I mean, uh, most recently in males and females. But uh, we have someone who... 
uh, is very well educated, uh, lost a ton of weight through diet and exercise, and uh, she's had multiple surgeries other at other places and was unhappy. Came to us, uh, we kind of revised everything, and now we're moving forward. We have a timeline of what we're going to attack next, and you know we always put the you know, the that little disclaimer in that we will likely have to revise certain things. We will have to tailor certain things because. Uh, because uh, the hum- human tissue is unpredictable and we've lost uh, so much collagen in the skin Absolutely. and integrity. And, and, and again, just imagine, for those of you who, who are just listening to this and, and, and have not had massive weight loss surgery or you're not overweight, imagine if you carried an extra 10 pounds of skin and fat on your lower abdomen every day. Imagine doing just activities of daily living. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something when we cut this extra skin and fat and we actually take it off the operating room table and put it on the side table and actually feel it in our own hands, it is something very significant. And when you look, not only they look better, but just imagine how much they feel better. And that's the key. You know, again, you're restoring someone's, uh, uh, your your aesthetic uh, uh, looks, but it's all, it's more of a psychological change that mm-hmm. we're looking for. And, and it's something that, you know, we're going to break down over the next months and years on our podcast. We'll really break down these procedures individually. If you have any other questions about them, you can always ask us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we hit on each area, I think, nice and short and sweet without getting into too much detail. Uh, but that's really the gist of, of what we do for people that lose a ton of weight. Yeah, I think just as a recap, um, as far as the uh, candidates, you know, whether or not you're a candidate for it, obviously you need to be medically cleared. We usually wait one year post-surgery just so we can normalize uh, your weight loss. We want you to be stable for at least three months. Um, and the uh, we can operate from te- head to toe, but we obviously group certain surgeries together. And the reason for this is for your safety. And also it just makes sense when we're pulling and tugging and different areas. Um, I would say that we have to provide a, a, you know, a reasonable level of expectations. Um, we have to discuss some of the potential complications and you have to be prepared for those. We nutritionally optimize you. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this is more of a, this isn't something that you say weeks uh, of recovery. This is more of when we look at our timeline, it's more months to years when we are going from head to toe. And uh, obviously we want you to find someone who is well-trained, board certified, that creates a long-term plan that is thinking about short-term and long-term for you. And ultimately uh, that'll be the safest thing. And don't get discouraged like we talked about. This is, this is it took a while to gain the weight. Took a surgery or diet and exercise, and time to lose the weight. It's going to take time to contour everywhere else. So just kind of stick to the plan, stick to your surgeon's recommendations, and I think ultimately you will be very happy with the way you look and feel after you have these procedures. Well, thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys learned a bunch today. Uh, please. Uh, make sure that you follow us. Uh, if you see us on YouTube, or uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you're interested. And uh, we've got more to come. Uh, again, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Poor. You can listen to us on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Peace. 
From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing. Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.